What's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cutter Nation Podcast 84. Pretty excited. Second time on the podcast, Zach Dials. But first, please go rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's been growing very nicely. YouTube channel, there's been a ton of people watching it, as well as downloading it, listening to it on their podcast app. We've also got hats and shirts, any kind of stuff that you guys want to be shipped. Uh, you can run over to the website, cutternation.net, and check it out. So, Cass, uh, without further ado, I, I know uh, we talked a little bit off air, but Zach Dials of one of my favorite pages on Instagram and the owner of the Bullpen Pitching uh, LLC. So excited to have you on, Zach. Thanks for taking a little time out of your day. I know you're you're slammed with the family and the house and and the doing the crazy workouts on Tuesdays and <laughs> you know stuff like that. So I appreciate you taking a little time out of your day and coming over. Yeah, man. I appreciate you guys having me. So you, um, you, you and I have known each other for a little while and yeah. the information that we've, ex we've exchanged, especially with like technology and video and, and your setup has always been intriguing to me. You're one of the first people that I've seen run a baseball gym the right way, especially for pitchers, in my opinion. Um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, your history of it and, and just catch people up to where we are at this point? I know um, a lot of our uh, followers, uh, especially over here in San Diego, a lot of our clients follow you. We constantly send stuff over to people that have questions about things, whether it's arm path, you know, hand out of the glove, stuff like that. And and your content, especially um, when you're throwing down that lane and you can really see the direction of your athletes from behind um, with your track, man. Uh, yeah. So why don't you pick it up from there and, and uh, let us know. Um, yeah. So pretty much uh, I started the bullpen right after I got done playing pro ball um, and, uh, you know, started with just a couple guys and uh, now we're at 150, 160 guys a week. Uh, I'm now one full-time assistant and, uh, you know, we've had a hundred and I think 17 guys commit in the last uh, what, eight years um, and had four drafted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just try to uh, keep pushing my guys hard. I mean, we have uh, a very blue collar kind of Midwest uh, attitude um, since I'm, you know, a blue collar Midwest grunt guy. And, Where are you from? Uh, Indiana. Huh? Yeah. Middle of nowhere. One of those small towns you just kind of like keep driving through, you know, and don't stop unless you have to. But uh, um, anyway, yeah. Uh, you know, we could, we combine a lot of technology and, um, you know, I kind of take bits and pieces of everything that I've done in my life as an athlete and kind of just, you know, created our program. So what was yeah, kind of the inspiration for the model? Because I mean, off air, we were just talking about it, but um, for, for whatever it's worth um, the people listening, you know, I don't have this relationship with Zach in the past. And when I look at his page, I mean, there it's validated immediately based on the content and the way that the kids are training. So how did you come to that? Um, in all honesty is because I'm a terrible business guy. So like when I first started, um, you know, I was doing the like one-on-one, -on -one, like hour rate kind of thing. And people would just pay as they would come in. And that was about it. And, you know, it's like, I just ended up getting, um, you know, so many clients that I had trouble keeping track of things and people would, you know, skip paying, you know, like uh, a week, I'll get you next week kind of thing. And I honestly just got sick and tired of dealing with it. And, you know, at the time I was doing CrossFit really heavy and all that. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of jump on that model uh, because, Honestly, it just seems a lot simpler to me. And I think it's, I think it's worked way better um, for like a business standpoint. And just for me personally, 
um, because I charge less, I get to do more with my guys, and I think you know everybody's kind of happy, um, you know, with both of those things. Um, you know, it's like I can interact with my guys seven days a week, and you know, it's like if guys want to, you know, if guys want to live in my facility, they they can. You know, like I'm never gonna um, stop them from wanting to get better. You know, and if they want to put in minimal effort, then that's up to them. And you know, it's the same same price point no matter what you do. How many people do the minimum effort? Um, probably half at least, uh, maybe sixty percent of our guys are. Uh, one time a week, come in and do their lesson. And, you know, they're good with that, and mom and dad are good with that. I, I ask just for the record because I think a lot of people are actually that person, and it's still a way better deal to do it this way for everybody, right? What yeah. What are the terms um, monthly? Like, what what is what is a client going to get when they come to your gym? Um, well, uh, like a new guy, he would get an assessment from me, so we'd go through a. Um, range of motion uh, assessment. So we use um, the system called Human Track. It's by this Australian company um, that I found a couple of years ago. Um, it's really cool. It's kind of like Kinetisense, but I like it better, which is why I went with them. And it uh, gives them a whole entire like breakdown of uh, any deficiencies that they have with uh, movement-wise and range of motion issues that we can attack. Um, but then I'll do a mechanical analysis with them via video. You know, we'll get them on. Um, another system that we have called 4D Motion, um, that's awesome, and you know I've had that for a few years, and uh, kind of just break down their whole entire delivery um, using uh, some of our technology in combination with mobility, in combination with like you know TrackMan and all that stuff, and just get a good idea of what each guy needs. Um, you know they can come in and train and work out uh, in our gym seven days a week if they want to. I uh, have a training room uh, for like recovery stuff and they can come use that whenever they want. And then they can pretty much get unlimited lessons with me uh, as long as I have the space. So they, they, if, if you're, if you're cast right low and Johnson says we could Zach dial seven days a week, basically. And, yep. and, and, and be as, as productive as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if a guy wants to absolutely grind, I don't want to, I don't want financials or like any other factor to be a reason as why I can't, uh, a guy can't put in as much as he wants to, you know? Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. The throwing and, and, um, fitness are, are such time, you know, just time drainers. And, um, you know, you and I have talked about throwing in the past and frequency and learning and stuff. And, could you could you speak about um, a little bit of your history? I, I know you had some arm stuff, and and um, I think Castle, I think you and Cass have similar stuff too, because I'm pretty sure he's. I don't remember if you were rotator or labrum. Um, yeah, uh, go ahead. I, I did. Um, so 2008, I partially tore my UCL, mm. um, so I had a 20% tear. Um, but fortunately, I was able to rehab and come back, and I haven't had a problem since. Um, and then, uh, I had a p impingement, um, uh, one year as well, uh, my shoulder and then the downfall, I guess, of my career, other than not being good was, uh, you know, tearing my labrum. So I had a, I had a slap tear. Um, and that was, that was pretty brutal the last season that I played. So I find, I find it interesting, Zach, uh, Cass is one of the other people, that um went into crossfit similar to um you uh 
you you told me something about um, what you were doing training wise and how you just crossfitted out of of the injury basically and it's interesting because Cass has a torn rotator cuff and and also basically went and to this Olymp- and UCL yeah and went to this Olympic lifting uh, model and yeah. really talks about how uh, the way he was getting there strengthened his shoulders tremendously and I, and you were one of the first people that I had heard from that also could you speak about your experience with that and and uh, maybe Cass and see some light in there sure um, yeah, when I got done, um, I mean, I couldn't even like lift my arm and put it across my body like this without pain. Like I, I threw my whole entire last season where I was on drugs, you know, that the, you know, the organization gave me like a crazy painkiller and an anti-inflammatory. I was putting red hot, you know, all over my arm and literally, you know, you make that first throw 10 feet away, just lobbing it. It's like somebody took a knife and just shoved it right in my shoulder. Um, so that's, that's my whole entire last season. Like I literally had to get like grass in every single day before and after the game. And it was just, a, it was a, it was kind of fun though. Cause it was like a big mental battle, like every single day. Um, and it's like, every time I was getting ready to throw a pitch, you know, I just, I had to like talk to myself and like, okay, I know this is getting ready to hurt, but I don't care. Like I am throwing this ball as hard as I can. And I'd literally tell my body to shut up. Like I was like, I'm, I don't care, you know? Um, and it's probably not a great mentality, but it worked and I got it done. Um, but uh, once I once I finished, yeah, I was, I was hurting pretty good. Um, started CrossFit and um, couldn't even do like a dip, you know, without, again, the knife in my shoulder kind of feeling. And I probably had that for maybe two or three months and then I could just feel it slowly start to start to go away. Like it just became um, duller and, and less sharp and eventually it got to the point where it was like gone and I'm, I'm letting it rip and I, I have no issues, you know? And it's like, I've been able to do that now since about 2012. And I, I have a little bit of a flare up every now and then, but it's honestly just when I'm not getting after it um, in the gym that when it kind of starts to come back, as soon as I do, it's gone again. So, so, so what you, you just said, I oh, just for the record, cause I don't know that I've done that twice. <laughs> So I was fine, but I wasn't. So after I got done playing in college, then it took me two years to get to where you were. And that was straight up um, based on just like, um, I I was a big Brent Porcio top velocity guy. And I literally just started triple extending and trying to create any sort of separation at all. And so 2014, I believe was a summer. um, I went 132 on a Friday and 115 on a Monday and was doing zero arm care, was not working out whatsoever. Um, so it's pretty crazy what the body is capable of. And then the second time I don't, I'm not pain free right now, but I have a sh- dude, I have so many things going on with me, with me, but it's still, the funny thing is, is, um, right before the quarantine happened, um, I was throwing as hard as I possibly could at least once a day. Mm-hmm. And just that for two weeks, it's like, what's the worst that could happen? One throw hurts. Yeah. And then I move on. And I think that that strategy, um, I have had moments I have had, um, Right before um, I moved to San Diego that spring, I was doing the same thing. I just kept on throwing and throwing and throwing. And my game of long toss was max effort on a line. And then I took like four days off and went and threw live at an amateur game, just like for with a shitty warm up with, and I was, my arm hurt the whole fucking summer. <laughs> and it's just so funny. I'm curious. I, I don't even know. I'm just thinking out loud right now because what I think it is is our um the guy that we rent from rue does art 
and I have 17,000 adhesions all over my body. We took four out last Thursday in my lower left hip. And I, we spent like most of the time on my scap and he couldn't get any of those. I'm sitting here digging into it, but I'm curious. Um, anyway, I, I just, I, I wonder, I wonder how much of this is the act of CrossFit, just like doing everything for you and forcing you to just gain strength in these things. And then I wonder how much of it, like people like me exist that have so many knots and so many adhesions on their body that I could train all day long and I'm never going to to get to where I want to be without that soft tissue work and that ripping my muscles apart. So how much of it, I don't, you haven't talked about that. Is that part of what you've been doing or speak, speak on that? Yeah. So I think the, the big reason uh, as to why my pain um, went away is just because I put on so much muscle mass. Like I, I never was a big, like, um, upper body guy. Cause the, you know, I was always told not to like, Oh, you're going to create restriction and not be able to throw. Well, I was also, you know, six, two and 195 or 205 pounds at my heaviest during my, my playing days. That's like, I was, I was skinny. Like I was functionally strong, but it's like, you know, nobody was sitting there preaching, like put on, you know, strength and mass and be powerful. It was always, you know, be better at running long distance and, you know, do your arm care. And, uh, I think that was a big part of the reason that I got hurt in the first place. And then secondly, um, you know, once I started to put on muscle mass and do some things that I was not used to, because I mean, I put on, I think I put on 30 pounds within three or four months. Um, once oh I started God. doing CrossFit. Yeah. I, I literally went from like two, 200, 205 to, uh, 235. Um, and yeah, it's like my, my strength numbers went through the roof. Do you, you still know, do it? Oh yeah. I train hard every single day. Did you do the open? Um, you know what? I haven't, I haven't done the open cause, uh, I just kind of do my own thing now. Um, but I was doing competitive, uh, CrossFit and I was doing uh, a league around here for like, uh, the, the higher level stuff, you know? So it was like, you, you, you had to do everything. I mean, you have to be able to do pistols, you know, muscle ups, like everything. Um, so I did, I did that for a couple of years and it was fun. Um, but, uh, yeah. I, I still train. No, I was just curious. So I just started and I did the 20, I did uh 20 point, 20 point one was my first open workout and I died. Yeah. Those things kill you. They absolutely kill you. Brutal. It doesn't matter I, how much you train. Like you, you just, you're going to suck. I mean, you're going to die. I see these, these, the professionals. I, I don't know how they do that. I mean, actually yeah. I do. The only way that you can CrossFit and be at that level is like flawless everything. It's yeah. the only thing because like when I was, so right before quarantine, I was um, going like five to six times a week. Mm -hmm. And um, dude, if I would eat wrong, I would feel like shit. Like, oh, I, I had too much pasta last night. And since quarantine, I'm like crushing Coors Light and like, <laughs> like it's just, it's just such a different level. And then you think about like, um, yeah, it's just impressive what they're able to do. I mean, they just don't stop. It's so no. messed up. I know. It's all day, all day. I mean, I wrestled back in the day, so I know what psycho is and CrossFit is on a different level, but, um, okay. So at least while we're talking about it, um, I will say this, there's, I, I never, ever, ever refer people to CrossFit like I, uh, baseball players. We have a baseball player that, that does CrossFit and he's our only kid. And every time he's too sore, like he's, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so have you had, would you, would you suggest it for, for baseball players? Um, I mean, I, w I would, uh, 
with limitations. So like we, we do a little bit of that. So like I'm Olympic lifting certified. So it's like, we're big on like the big, heavy, powerful movement stuff, you know, those big Olympic lifts. And, um, but I also throw in a Metcon for my guys, um, you know, three, four times a week. Uh, and, and they're pretty hard. Uh, I mean, it's always as hard as you want to be, but it's like, I, I like a lot of that whole mentality um, and kind of like having to push yourself. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people would probably disagree, you know, with what, what we do as far as our training goes, but you know what, we, we, we get our guys mentally and physically strong. And I think that's really the big reason why I have them do Metcons is because we have so many kids who, um, you know, I mean, we live in a pretty, pretty well off area and some of our kids are a little bit soft, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, be honest. Um, and I think, um, some of it's generational and some of it's just the area. And it's like, I've got to create, I've got to create some toughness in them. I've got to create some struggle and teach them how to be comfortable with knowing that not everything's going to be okay. And mom and dad can't save you all the time. Um, cause a college coach isn't going to care. You know, I mean, you're going to go to a Juco or a really, uh, demanding program. And you know, it's like the coach is going to throw down and he's not going to give two craps what your history is and where you came from. And if you can't handle it physically, mentally, emotionally, um, you're, you're not going to survive. Um, so I like it for that reason. I also like it because it's just, it's competition. You know, it's like guys are always competing with each other. You know, they're, they're staying there face to face with each other, doing the same workout, um, and racing and trying to, you know, beat the other one. And I think if you can create competition in any way, I think that's also beneficial, um, for any type of athlete. Yeah. It, it's supposed to be hard, right? Like it's yeah. not supposed to be an easy thing. And, and yeah. like training and working out, you know, uh, I'm always looking at other sports because I, you know, I feel like that they do things better than we do, especially with, you know, with training and, and training economy and, and putting it all together and, you know, having a, a real understanding of what every day really is, is, is it's, it, you can't teach it. You know, I mean, like I, I've, I have a shirt that says every day I have all kind of things that, that w stories that we tell and, you know, trying to give examples. And yet when you, when you ask a kid, you know, what did they do today to get better? You know, they're like, Oh, well I haven't thrown today. And it's like, well, where's your priorities at? Like, what's your, you know, what are you doing there? Um, yeah. And, and so since, since honestly, I, I've found your page and your model, that's where I was like, okay, you know, I got to, uh, start off same thing lessons. You know, I got, I really got to, you know, get to this idea. Cause I know if I can see people two, three times a week. So I appreciate it, you know, uh, on our side, cause we, I kind of took it and ran with it and we have both, you know, versions of it. We have uh, based on, we have it basically uh, based on weekly visits, right? One time a week, two times a week, three times a week, pretty much anything beyond three times a week. Like we don't need to even worry about, like, you just need to come in. You know, you just need to make sure when you're when you come in, you know, and those those athletes are the ones that um, we, we seem to just really progress the farthest. And then, you know, it it really helps when we have such good kids that want to be there because, you know, it takes over with the young kids and it really helps them, you know, see these these other guys that are um, just in there just crushing it, you know, and and. So it, it, it's, like I said, I appreciate it because it was, 
eye-opening because I kind of had the idea, but I didn't really know what it was, you know, when I, and then I saw yours and I was like, oh, this is, this is the move because, you know, we talk about it all the time, but, but I'll say that the way I'm thinking about this idea of Cutter Nation in our business is I want to create something that I wish I had when I was younger. So all of the technology, all of the information, the ability to throw, you know, rain or shine, me being a Florida guy, you being a Virginia guy, I'm sure rain yep. or shine is, is a thing. Indiana. Yeah. Well, Come he's on. there, right? He's in Virginia right yeah, now. I'm so. shit. Yeah. I'm pretty much yeah. a Virginian now. I've been here for yeah. almost a decade. So yeah, but it, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, kudos to you, man, because it's, it's, I know it's a hard transition, especially from what it's going for, but the, the ideal, the idea um, and the understanding to the athlete and the parent, it's obvious that when you get something out of it every day, and then, you know, you've got over a hundred signees and some draft picks, and I'm not surprised. So um, that being said with your process, I want, I wanted to chat a little bit about the technology that you're using at the gym and the history of it, because, you know, you're the first guy that I've seen in the private sector, have a track man um, and, and how that's gone. Where, where did that inspiration come from with the technology uh, for you? Um, I mean, I just know that the kids certainly relate to it. And I know that's where baseball's headed. And I like to always try to stay as much on the forefront of things as I can. Um, but it's also, I think, uh, competition. You know, it's like I know that my competition, the area um, in our state, you know, it's like they're always adding stuff and, and you know, catching up to you know, everybody else. So it's like, I've got to try to stay in that, that front of the pack, um, and kind of, kind of lead from there and have everybody chasing me and trying to keep up, um, you know, which is kind of how I, I guess, went through my whole entire career, you know, always just like doing more, um, outworking people and kind of being a little bit of a psychopath and kind of like that hardo mentality. And that's pretty much what I, I take to, uh, like the business side of it too. What, what did you start with, with the technology? Um, I think the first thing that we had was 4d motion. Um, because again, like I saw Porcio, you know, had that and I was like, oh man, that's sick. I want to check that out. And, um, I loved it and bought it and, you know, we get some good use out of it and they're making, they made some really cool upgrades on the newest, um, generation of sensors that they have. Um, so we're going to be able to use it with, uh, multiple guys at the same time and, I think we're gonna get a lot of you know really good feedback from it um i mean we already do the only thing that's hard uh with like my model um and and using the 4d motion system is you know it takes five minutes to kind of set up uh for each guy especially if you're using all 12 sensors because um, we do have 12 of them and you have to literally like strap every single one on to certain points of their body you got to calibrate it and then um, if you're using all 12 sensors it takes probably a minute to a minute and a half to download all the data from each pitch. So, uh -huh. yeah, but that, but they came out with their new sensors, which I'm in process of getting right now. And, uh, the download speed has increased, uh, tremendously. And again, I, um, you can use it with multiple athletes at the same time. It just doesn't have to be the one guy at a time. Um, but I, I Wait. love that system. Um, you said that's cool. a problem with your model um, for the, for, for the record. I that Cass doesn't sound like a, out. I can't hear him. Can oh, it is muted. Him? Fucking shit. No, I can hear it. I can hear you Cass. Oh, okay. Oh. I can't hear him. Well, good. Um, and the internet just heard me say um, up and so, yeah, we, we started with that one and then, um, we went to 
the um, range of motion system, um, so the human track system, and uh, uh, got that just to assess our athletes a little bit better and uh, kind of give them this really cool uh, printout uh, showing where their range of motion is and kind of teach them how, you know, how they stack up to other guys and kind of where they should be. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the website right here. Do you have the four, the four sensor or the six? For 40 motion? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so they have like a different deal. They have like a different setup now with their website uh -huh. and the new stuff. So before I bought two of the um, six uh, sensor, um, but they used to give you like a deal with it. So, so you buy 12, um, you'd save a little bit of money. Um, I'm not sure if they're still doing that. And I know the new sensors that they have right now, they only have the system set up to use six and they're working on um, setting it up for the 12. So we, I, I'm going to buy the first six. And then once they get it set up for the 12, I'll buy the other six. What are the, um, where are the locations that the sensors go? Uh, it just depends. I mean, honestly, you can set it up a million different ways and you can have as few as like two sensors um, or you can have 12 if you want to or more. I think you can actually do up to 16 on, on a person. Um, but I mean, if we're doing like um, 12, I mean, it's like your wrist, your uh, top of your bicep, your chest, your hips, um, the top of your quads, your ankles, um, you know, and just kind of all over the place. That's exciting. It, it's, uh, we went to, um, can you guys hear me by the way? Yeah. Yeah. Can hear you. Yeah. Can hear you now. Okay. Everyone. Um, right, but by the, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Never mind. I was just going to say that that's not a problem with your system. This is the problem with all technology. There's no system that exists that, that can afford to sit there for five minutes. These, these things just aren't. And, and so it's obviously like, this is the best thing. Like, obviously it's going to get better. Right. But yeah. that's just one of those things that, um, you know, I've, I've kind of been somebody that as a younger generation coach, I'm trying to stick up for some of the older dudes because it's like, man, some of this shit is annoying. You know, some of those guys that don't want to, to come our direction and like, I, I get it, man, because it's like when you've seen the game long enough, you you there's many times you don't need that kind of technology to get to where you want to be. You know what I mean? But at the same time, when you're dealing with guys that are getting drafted and you have that kind of you know, future ahead of you, these things, these things do matter. Absolutely. So I, that, that's what I was trying to say when you couldn't hear me. Sure. So, cause I, I, I'm telling you, I I'll, I'll say this one more time and then, and lay off it. I want you to know, and I want your audience and I want our audience to know this is not, we don't do this to get the most people in. It happens to be that, that, that is a byproduct of this, but we choose to do this because it's the best way to do it. We could do lessons. We, I think, very strongly that we do this because it's the best absolute way to train people. And I don't think people think that. I think people think that it's a money grab. It's the best way for us to get the most amount of kids in the place. And it's like, they, they just don't understand. So maybe that's me projecting my insecurities of the system on other people, but it's really more of who's doing this sack. Who else do you know that's doing this? And 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 the fact is 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 the number's way too damn small. So that's that's my two cents yeah. on what you're doing. And yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think a very small part of it is the business, and I try to make everything that I do a very small part of the business. You know, like that's really honestly in the back of my mind. I always try to be a baseball guy first, and then the business guy last. Because honestly, I hate running a business. I wish somebody would come just buy me out and then let me just yeah. run it and just do that. You know, it's like I don't want to do any of the business stuff. I hate it. But um, it's like. 
I think also from, I think being in like smaller groups, I think is more beneficial for guys. Like, yeah, you can probably isolate some more specific things when you're one-on-one -on -one with a guy like that's a no brainer. But when you have, do you point, need to, Yeah. do you need, right? Yeah. I, I think there's very few occasions that you do. Like maybe if a guy's really struggling with something and it's just not happening, like I brought guys in for like emergency sessions where it's like, we put in like, all right, Hey, I'm done it. You know, 9 30 tonight come in and i'll work with you as long as we have to, to figure this out and then we're in there for two three hours kind of fixing it you know um, and, and and we haven't got there at cutter nation yet um just based on the situation that we've been in but i mean when when everything is down to our own facility and, and everything that we can do like that's what i that's what i that's what i'm so excited about and it's also what people have gotten in our remote training you know it's crazy how many people are not doing remote training right now because the people that are they're stealing from us. I, I've been on I've been on half of my calls at least fifty minutes. They're paying thirty dollars, sometimes twenty five. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, mm -hmm. anyway. Of course, I'm not a business person. Like, yeah. why would I do that? Yeah, yeah. My, my my thing, my business model is definitely not about like, okay, how many kids gonna can I squeeze into it? You know, it's like I put a limit on everything, and it's like we have you know four or five, maybe six guys at the most um, per hour. But then it's, you know, me and my assistant. So there's two instructors there going over and it's like, I'm, I'm pretty like hardcore with a lot of the stuff we do and I'm regimented, you know? So it's like, I'm literally over there spending a minute with each guy correcting him and positioning him, you know, the way I want to, or talking with him, getting him to understand what I'm trying to get out of him and then moving on to the next guy. And I'll go through every single person to make sure that we're all good before we even begin to move on to the next thing, you know? Um, but I, I think you always do better with competition and other guys around you. I mean, that's just. Can you talk about kids who don't need to get coached as much? Um, like in these small groups where you give that kid, you have these kids where you give them one thing and then you leave them, you know, we're in a private lesson. You're not going to just sit and not talk to a kid for 30 minutes or 60 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we definitely have like some, some of those groups where there's like a really, really advanced guy who just, as an athlete and just figure stuff out. And then we have other kids who can't even, you know, walk without tripping over their feet. Well, I mean, I mean like, you know, the kids that need to like, you need to make sure that you give it one piece at a time. So they don't, that's what I'm, I mean, like yeah. the, yeah. the idea of processing, letting them figure it out on their own, you know, I don't care if you're four, there still needs to be time for that. And that doesn't, yeah. it starts. Yeah. 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 So like, um, we'll have like an idea or something that we're covering for the day and we'll have, five, six, seven, eight drills or whatever that I decide to do, um, focusing on that idea because I got to have, I, I don't know how certain guys learn and understand things. So it's like, like I've got to be able to understand their personality, understand the way that they learn, give them a ton of different ways to, um, learn that idea, uh, because I don't know what's clicking with certain people, but it's like, if a guy, you know, like, like if a guy is just figuring it out and looking good, honestly, I'm not going to mess with him a whole lot. I'm going to let him keep figuring it out and thinking about stuff on his own while I'm kind of working with a kid who needs help fixing it. Um, you know, but it's like, I, I let them all fail. You know, I let them all have time to kind of figure it out on their own. And then if they need additional assistance, I give that to them. Um, but ultimately, you know, they're going to be their, their best friend or their worst enemy. And, you know, they've kind of got to, understand themselves better than anybody else. I'm going to wordsmith this a little bit. So the um, letting people fail, I, it's just been like over the past year, I just heard people use that um, 
and and I'm, I totally agree, totally agree with you. I'm just saying I'm 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 throwing this out there as an idea. It's almost like we need to let them have success too. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just that we need to like let them fail so then they need us because I, I I and and I'm not I'm not saying this to you. I'm just this is yeah, this yeah. is the idea that I think is really common out there. Is it's not that I'm letting them fail. It's that I'm giving them space to do this experience on their own. So when they do things on their own. They know how to do it. You know, we. Exactly. I don't know who it was. John, do you do you remember which guy it was? Was oh, it was the bleaker thing. This yeah. is hilarious. Um, he has two doorknobs on one of his doors, and one of them is just a false doorknob that was on there from an old. And kids will turn it, and it doesn't turn. And they'll tell them, oh, it'll be like bleaker. Where's you know? How do we get out of here? It's like, why didn't you try the other freaking <laughs> handle, bro? And like how seriously though, and like how you know he he tried to dump it on this generation, but I think it's just anybody who whose parents or coaches or teachers just like gave them answers right yeah. and didn't actually like you know how many times um i, I had so many times in co- especially with my college kids because with my private instruction i'm not going to just like not answer you mm-hmm. but with my college kids they would ask me a question and i'd be like figure it out bro and my coaches used to say that to me and i said it like i probably used it too much but there's something about like why are you asking me this question right now you, you you haven't thought past the initial question because if you would have, you would have realized how easy it was to deduce what you're trying to figure out, you know, and that's such a, such a critical part of it. And anyway, obviously you can tell that I don't love lessons, but it's because I did them forever and I just know that it doesn't get results. So anyway, that's my, that's my whole rant on, on that whole thing. Cause the, cause letting them fail is not enough. You know, now I feel like I'm sitting here going like, it's the encouragement at the right places at the right time. That's sure. everything, right? And so I don't need to let them know that they sucked. I don't need to let them know. I need to make sure that they know when they sucked, that that was actually a good rep, that they didn't, they don't have the context to understand that, right? Ball doesn't go where they want to. Maybe it's not as hard as they want to, but they moved away that they should be moving. Their tempo is good, whatever it is, right? And that's where... Oh man, I don't know. I'm not asking a question. I'm just, you get me jacked up because I like, I like when people have the same idea and, and understand the value of it. So yeah, no, I'm, anyway. I'm on board with you. I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And um, yeah, I think it's just, you, again, you got to really know the kid, you know, you got to know when he needs certain things. Like you said, like give him encouragement when you can see that he's getting frustrated and in a little bit, maybe like emotionally kind of, you know, like just, beat down a little bit or just like not happy with stuff like you gotta know how to like talk him out of that and and figure out how to get back to being productive and positive you know or in your group session you just say all right bro next guy and then he goes has his time and then the other dude and and by the time he gets back in like that that's the other part of small groups like it's just endless reasons why to do it the way that you're doing it so yeah i mean can you tell i'm a fan (laughs) well yeah no i appreciate that i mean um I mean, but it's like everything else you do in baseball, it's like you're in a group setting, you know, on the field. How about practice. Life? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the time, sure, you know, working with teams on jobs and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, it's like I don't I don't remember ever doing anything in spring training where I was alone. You know, I mean, it's like it was always competing with the guy, you know, maybe doing the same PFPs, but then you're working on something specifically or, you know, whatever. And it's like that's the way baseball's set up. So I feel like you should, for the most part, train that way. And then, you know, individual things, you know, it's like, that's what you're spending your time at home, you know, working on, like, like figuring out these small individual things about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Uh, so where, 
who is you already brought up Percio. I brought up Percio. Uh, do you have other influences outside of him? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like I follow Driveline, I follow Florida Baseball Ranch, I follow like all the you know the top guys yeah, yeah. in the game. Um, and you know, I take little bits and pieces from everybody. I like um, Epic Sports in Ohio. Um, they're awesome at the tech stuff, and that's really their their niches. They kind of um, they kind of like backwards engineer guys. Like they take all the data and they go backwards um, through um, all the information to give guys specific um, like drills to work on. And they're they're really good at the tech side. I, I'm you know envious of how how they do it. Um, What's the name of the? Is it Epic, Epic Sports? Yeah, yeah. Is it on Instagram? Epic, Epic Sports. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah I, I mean, find it. Yeah, they have some great stuff. Um, I'm trying to think who else I follow. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm just always, you know, online looking at guys. And I mean, I, I listen to what you guys say. I listen to everybody. I, I don't have my ears shut ever to anyone. Okay, you wanna you wanna have a debate right now? Uh, sure. Say yes. Sure. <laughs> it's not even a debate. It's uh, I, so I am really uh, um, I am contemplating this idea. Have you seen me? Um, def, de, I don't know, defame hip and shoulder separation. Have you heard me talk about it? I've not. Okay. So when I got introduced to Doug Latta, he suggested that hip and shoulder separation or dissociation is not a thing in that it's not the action. Okay. I'm never going to be somebody that says hip and shoulder separation does not present itself in the movement. Like, obviously. Um, but he kind of got away from like trying to make that happen. And John also never says hip and shoulder separation. So since I moved to San Diego, it's kind of like left my verbiage, not, not on purpose, but just like it started happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't really know where to go. What, I don't know what I'm going to ask you, but like, I don't think, I don't think you watch our kids and go, wow, they don't separate well. And, and so that's the, I, I'm, I'm throwing that out there right now because um, maybe, maybe knowing that, like take that into consideration, watching our stuff in the future. And maybe I'm biased and I don't see, no, maybe they aren't separating well. Maybe half of our guys could separate so much better, but I'm not seeing that, right? And I don't think John sees that either. And so anyway, so this is one, this is what I have come to a conclusion of. If I try to not rotate, it creates the movement that I want. Okay, so we've been talking about the joints and my friend Jason is a softball guy and he just simplifies everything into open joints and closed joints. And so if you take that idea and you talk about what the legs are doing in the stride, they're open, right? Your joint, hip joints are open. You should be, right? If you're going to create torsion, you're going to have an open hip joint. And now the only thing would be, okay, how about that front hip though? And people are going to make an argument that that front hip would be closed as the backside is open. And, and so last video of John, I don't know if you saw this with his super high leg kick to El Duque thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how in front of his shoulder that was. So that was pretty dramatic. Um, but a lot of his other throws weren't that dramatic. And like Taylor Ahern um, is not going like, it's dramatic because John went outside his elbow. Most people go underneath their elbow, right? Yeah, and yeah. so that was the only dramatic part about it. Um, anyway, so that's where I've come to and is closed joints in the stride, open, jo or excuse me, open joints in the stride, closed joints as you throw, and that creates separation. So if you, if you internally rotate both at the same exact time, you would create instant forward trunk tilt. 
right? That's what happens when you internally rotate both legs. And so if you're externally rotating your front side and internally rotating your, you're going to be straight up and down. And so not clearing the front hip or excuse me, not clearing the front foot, but allowing the front hip to clear, I think is, I think it's money. I think it makes separation happen faster and it's not trying to separate. That's what I think. Um, that's what I, I, I'm really interested in. I'm not saying I'm right. Right. I'm saying I'm, it's made me reconsider the whole thing. So I don't know if I'm, yeah, that's about as simple as I can make it. Yeah, John, do you have anything to add? No, to help I, me? I, I open closed joint. I like it. Yeah. The I only other it. thing that I, the, the sequencing of the open closed joint is the only other thing that I think you Sorry, forgot. The, the upper half. Yeah. 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 Good point. So the upper half is closed right in the stride and then the upper half opens as soon as, you know, at moment foot strikes happening. So yeah. it's basically like, you know, and I'd like to, this is why it's important for us to have these conversations is because guys like you can give me different context, maybe have a different way of talking about it. Cause you know, for the first couple sessions that I tried it with, like it was instant, like kids were like, Oh yeah, this is way easier. Taylor was one of them. But then I had other kids that were like, why is this so complicated? I'm like, I don't know how I can simplify this anymore for you. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know the different, you know, I'd have them open their feet and then close their feet. That's an open joint. That's a closed joint. You know, and then it's just you keep it closed until you, or excuse me, you keep them open until you close. Right. And you don't even have to open it. You you are closed. Sorry. This is how hard it is because it's it's so counterintuitive that it's even hard to talk about. Right. Because we've been so conditioned to say that we're closed, closed, closed and then open and it's open, 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 closed in the joint. And then the shoulders are the inverse of that. Yeah, I got to say, I, lo- I love the way you're saying that, like the open closed joint thing. Like I've never thought of, of saying it that way. And honestly, I might just steal that because I like that so much. Um, I, dude, I t- I, my buddy Jason, I'm like, bro, you're, you're, everyone's going to steal this. It's so simple. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like I watch your guys. And the thing that always stands out to me about your guys is, is they're all so like fluid, you know. Um, and I don't know if it's cause you got that Latin, Latin flair over there and you know, it's like all, all the Latin guys smooth and silky, you know, but it's like, um, that's the one thing that I always like about watching all your guys, you know, and, and just everybody like energy just flows, you know, so fluidly and you don't really see a lot of like hitches in anybody's delivery. Um, so I, I always like that. I'm always like, all right, we, we got to get our guys looking that, that fluid and pretty, you know? Um, I appreciate just, it. Yeah. Well, on on your side of it too, like uh, you, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You you, okay. you don't get to you don't get to go and give him a compliment now. I need to give <laughs> I need to lean in on him. Okay, so Zach, sorry, forgot the base. I, I I was I was so it's not I was so like I went top velocity and then I went drive line, and neither of them are talking about you know drive line obviously more than top V, but like neither of them are telling guys to have a long arm path, right? Like Brent parts everybody up here, right, mm-hmm. and then you know, driveline has their pivot pick variations. Yep. And so when, you know, the, you know what John's gun is club side high throwing hand low. Yeah. That I don't know how I'm going to convince people. That's the smartest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. So that allowed me to now have access to what you just said. I could not do that before. Mm-hmm. I could not take away those hitches. I could not clean up arm pass. Like I was so, um, so I just wasn't as good. And, and so Dude, we're—I've never seen anybody do it like John, where he said everybody's going to be in this, and it was the first thing that I attacked when I came there. I was like, "Why is everybody doing this? I don't want to be cookie cutter." And and the great thing is that people from the outside think it is, and it's so not cookie cutter. It's especially hard with our infielders and 
um, position players to understand why we're doing that. But I'm like, bro, yeah. you got to understand that this is throwing and you're going to be, once you understand how to throw, I don't care. I can throw sidearm, a submarine. Like it's all the same shit to me. Same thing mm -hmm. with John. When you understand how to throw, you can throw between your legs and, and still separate well, you know, or yeah. however you want to value it. So yeah. Anyway, I, mean, I think everybody can kind of learn like the same stuff and you're still going to have your own unique um, totally. you know, take on it. I mean, it, it I dare matter. you to move the same as me. Impossible. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So anyway, I'm plugging the gun because I don't, nobody does it. And, and, and it's dude, it's crazy. I don't know how to explain it other than I didn't do it. And now I do it. And it's <laughs> infinitely better. So yeah. John, you're going to push it back to him. Say something nice. Um, what I was going to say was, um, you know, we have different ideas of what my gun is and then your loading patterns are with the ball out of the glove and stuff, but it's very similar. Um, one of the things that I've always noticed, and I think I sent this video to Cass, but you had a, uh, you do a great job with creativity with drills and ideas and stuff. And I remember there was one particular drill that you had a guy do and you described the motion of the kid. And then a couple days later, you came out with this uh, path with the loop Oh yeah, you yeah. know, of the ball yeah. um, going by the head. I sent it to Cass and I was like, this is some of the greatest things I've ever seen because I talk about hand path and ball path. Um, and, and so, you know, when it comes to accelerating the baseball, uh, you know, I, I know you don't want to give away your, your actions and your, your secrets, but I know we can at least talk about the movements and, and the things from there. What do you look for out of the glove um, when the ball starts moving? Um, I mean, I guess just like, you know, not getting to where like the palm turns up or, you know, right away. Um, just like something that's smooth and looks like I'm real. You mean not opening the joint too soon? Uh, yeah, I guess you could consider it that way. Um, but I, I like to think, I like to have my guys think of the big stuff moving the small stuff. So like, I always talk to them about having, having your arm work so that the shoulder and the elbow are controlling the form and the hand, um, because so many of my guys, especially younger guys are very dominant with the throwing hand itself. And it's almost like the end of the kinetic chain is trying to control all the bigger, stronger stuff. Um, uh, and that really doesn't make sense, you know? So I always like using analogy, like, you know, like when you like kick a soccer ball. So I, I pick something that's totally different. You know, it's like that power is coming from the hip and then transferring down to the knee and then down to eventually to your foot, you know, at the end of the, the sequence. And it's like, I want them to think the same thing with their arm path where, um, again, it's like we have a slight amount of flexion in the elbow just so you can be, uh, uh, you know, a little bit fluid and move athletically. Um, but I want the, I want the elbow to, to control that hand, you know, as it gets up. And it's like, if you're, if you're taking the elbow to the shoulder um, and you're, you're getting a little bit of elbow abduction, your hand is going to flip up into cocking phase appropriately. Um, and you should be on time. You know, it's like it, it, you're, you're not going to have those big early pull off, you know, early trunk rotational issues where now we're getting up in a cocking phase really late and we're creating very limited layback. Um, you know, if you're specifically focused on that part of it, you know, just like, I have to get my elbow in the right position and that's going to control that hand. Um, that's really a big thing that I, you know, really how, focus how, on. Can you talk more about the loop that he talked about behind? Because I'm curious how your verbiage is on that. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we, I use the elbow spiraling, you know, the, the upward staircase, spiraling staircase, all that stuff. You know, it's like, I'll tell guys, you know, um, and use that, but it's a, pretty much, it's like, 
can you get to, and, and what I look for when I'm doing like video analysis on guys, it's like, can he have a little bit of horizontal elbow abduction and get his wrist um, and forearm vertical over the elbow um, somewhere close to that. Is that a Porcio thing? Saying hand vertical over the elbow. I don't think that is. I, I think. Okay. Cause that was something that I came to John with. I was like, I kept on saying it. And that's why he brought that, brought your video to us. Cause I, yeah. I haven't had a, I don't know how else to say it besides hand over the elbow. And now I just, anyway, keep going. Yeah. So I, I think that I've never honestly heard anybody else say that. I just kind of came up with that at some point, you know? Um, yeah. Because it's Cause like, you watch video. Yeah. Because you I watch people throw guys. Yeah. And, and it's like, you see every elite level thrower. It's like, you see that elbow slightly abducted. Um, that scalp a little bit retracted and then you see that that wrist and that form get vertical over the elbow right before they start going into you know whatever you want to call your glove side positive disconnection whatever right and trunk rotation that's really the big thing i look for is can you get to that position before we start to see any type of trunk rotation because then you know the glove hand the trunk rotating helps pull the arm into external rotation and layback um and you know then then it's time to let it fly. But if you're no, doing, I, I, yeah, if you're doing those things, you should see that clean, you know, fluid arm action, that spiraling. Um, what do you do for guys that cock way too soon? Um, like they're very rigid and they're like very arm dominant, and it's like we, we well, call okay, it swinging so, up. Oh, oh, so they're like they're like like this, like yeah. super early. Mm -hmm. Um. So I'm really big on constraint stuff. So I'm really, really, really big on like breaking it down into one piece at a time and then hammering that one aspect of it. So, I mean, I would honestly probably be doing some drills where I make them just stay. Um, I don't know if you can see me. So where they either just have their elbow parallel to their shoulder um, and just hold on to that maybe as long as they can and kind of work on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's like, okay, you'd like to get up really early. Let's go the other way and let's see how long you can delay, you know, getting your arm up. And usually it kind of finds that middle ground somewhere um, and it cleans up pretty well. Um, there's a few other things that, that I would probably do, um, but it just depends on the kid and how the rest of his body's working too. So I think you have to take all that in consideration. Well, so I, I think maybe more specific, what I'm asking is the, the horizontal abduction. When, like, what if you do that too soon? Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. not, and that's, it's not necessarily a bad move. It's the wrong time to do that yeah, move. Exactly. Um, Similar cue, I suppose. It's like, okay, now we need to find ways to delay this. So you just yeah. kind of answered it anyway, but. Yeah. I mean, that, that would scream to me that he's probably just like really upper body dominant and that he's really overly aggressive too early. Um, I, I know I like, I like for my guys to think of not really doing much with the upper body until they get to foot strike. Um, you, know, I'm, you know, I want that lower half dominance. I want them to be able to hinge properly, get into, you know, internal rotation, um, out of that back leg and start to get that hip open, uh, get that open joint, you know, by the time they, uh, you know, are getting into foot strike and, and really focus on that, that creation of power through, um, just momentum down the mound through rotation, through, uh, uh, extension in the back leg and bracing. And then it's like, you know, really, I guess, once we feel that front leg get like glued to the ground, it's like, I want you to absolutely crank that upper body as hard as you can. So, um, 
I, I would probably direct that guy into thinking more like lower half stuff and just hammer that out. And again, you know, create a little bit of a delay with the arm. And I, I'm sure that things would probably start to clean up a little bit from that point. Yeah, it's what I always wonder, um, you know, because that's what before the gun, right? Before I had this magical tool, um, that was one of the hardest things I had. So I always wonder where I was going wrong. I, I shouldn't say this. Like a lot of it is I didn't have enough time with my kids. So I had a kid named Beak Kitsman. Um, yeah, Beak. His name's Beak. His name is not actually Beak. But anyway, um, I, he was super long. And then um, whatever, however you just said it, like for hand, hand was over the elbow after a ton of, uh, you know, chunk rotation. Mm -hmm. And so I just basically was like, Hey, you can pivot pick everything and off the mound. And, and it was good, but he still, then he had a ton of hyperangulation and, um, you know, then, so then command became a thing. Um, so I'm always just curious of people cause, cause this is what I try to tell people, you know, especially the people that come to us and, and are a little bit equipped, you know, and they ask good questions like, you know, my kid's a shortstop. Why are you teaching him a long arm path? Well, I'm like, well, because the short arm path, people are just telling them to go right to here, mm. right? And then we're saying, we're just gonna get there. And you have to have the ability to know when you go backhand in the hole, like you're gonna be picking the ball off the ground and that's gonna feel very much like a lean back or a K drill, you know, or the things that we do as a pitcher, um, you know, or if you go, you know, you have a fly ball that you have to throw a guy out at home from third, like all of these things, you shouldn't be doing short arm path for that stuff cause you don't have to. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, you can choose not to. Right. And so that's where I'm always curious because this, this part is like, no shit. Like, of course we teach this. Right. And so when we have our shortstops in, and this is why I've had John do some throws, cause I'll just have John, you know, Hey, be a shortstop. And then they see a guy that hasn't played shortstop since 10th grade, junior year, high school. I don't know. Senior year. And uh, <laughs> right. But he goes and that's the whole point. So anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm always curious how people talk about timing um and and have success with it so anyway you have touched on it but if anything else came up i was i'm curious so yeah I, I mean i think again you know a lot of it just goes back to like the the individual and and my understanding of him and how he like learns and thinks about things so it's like i've got to do a really good job talking to him and like like how do you how do you process this like what what do you think about you know when you throw and if there's like a big issue like that like he's really you know up early you know, it's like, I think you got to educate them first, understand, you know, obviously why it might not be as efficient and, and as beneficial. And then you've got to start figuring out drills that click with him to obviously get him to make a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah. What are your youngest ages? Um, I, I only go down to nine. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the majority of our guys are high school guys and, and college guys. So uh, of the 150, how many are under 12? About 50. Okay. That's a pretty good number. I, just when you said that you explain it, that's my only thing with, with that demographic is now that's probably where I, I had the biggest struggle with it is the younger kids who don't want to listen to what you're saying. Cause that's what they're good at. They're good at not listening and it helps them all the time. I'm dead serious. I'm not giving them shit. Like, mm -hmm. I, and I say that I've seen kids take terrible instruction and not listen to it. And I'm like, good for you <laughs> Be, because the, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, you anyway. be able to filter as well. Um, but I know like, like going, you know, going back to what I was saying, where it's like, you're, I can think your ears got to be open to everyone, even if it's like the dumbest person on the planet, you know, it's like, um, that's something my dad told me when I was a little kid. And I've always taken that to heart. Um, 
And I remember my little league coach, my first coach ever, right? He worked with my dad and he only played high school baseball. Didn't really know a whole lot. He's just a really nice guy. And um, he taught me, you know, he told me to do something that stuck with me my whole entire baseball career. You know what I mean? And it's just like some guy from my hometown that just said something that clicked with me and I, I still use it and I do it now. Um, and I, I just, what was I, it? Honestly, um, so when I first started pitching when I was nine, I would stare at the glove like crazy and then I would just lose focus, right? And I couldn't throw strikes very well. So all he said was, you know, take your attention off your target for a second. He's like, when you start your pivot and all that stuff and, you, you know, he's like, just look down at your foot or look down at the ground for a split second. And then once you start to lift, he's like, pick your target back up and, and throw. And it was just like strike, 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 strike. And, and just... I, I do that now, you know, it's like, I just stare off into space and pick it up last second. Yeah, I was good. It's awesome. So then, uh, so that's mental. That's, that's Ken Revisa kind of shit. That's, uh, you know, occupy, occupy your, your other self inner game of tennis kind of stuff. So, um, mental game, we haven't talked about that. Is this, is this part of, do you share this with players and how far beyond that idea do you go? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as what as far as like well okay so emotion. to me to me to me i i categorize categorize that into mental because that's a tool that you use to you know find your find your flow or, or whatever um and so that yeah i mean i'm talking like oh man oh mental game has evolved quite a bit to me because it's basically like everything's the mental game and like who are you as a human being is the mental game do you know what i mean yeah so yeah. i don't know that i'm asking the the most specific question so because i don't know how you how do you have those conversations or or maybe this just comes down to all of these things happen when you have the ability to work with somebody multiple times a week and you don't have to work on a mental game specifically because it's you are the mental game i don't know tell me yeah no i mean i think um again, it goes back to just like the kid, like I have uh, a lot of kids who like, we have a lot of really intelligent, highly analytical kids here. Right. I mean, I have a kid that just committed to MIT, you know? Um, and that's a pretty, that's like a norm here in this area, um, because yeah. education is so strong. Um, but it's like a lot of those, a lot of those kids need to, you know, it's like they need things dumbed down even from an emotional standpoint, you know, or whatever. And then I have other kids that's like, you know, they're lacking confidence or have other kids that like don't know how to get aggressive and just let it fly because they are overthinking and they're too highly analytical. Um, you know, so it's like, again, you know, knowing that individual kid and what he needs and telling him that one thing that clicks with them where it's like, you know, stop, stop analyzing everything, just literally dumb it down and throw the living crap out of the ball. And just whatever happens, happens, dude, like just, you know, just let it eat. And it is what it is. Um, so that, that's something that happens a lot um, with my guys and, and having to, I guess, kind of, again, dumb things down for them where it's like, you know, you're, you're thinking about 10 different things at once. It's like, stop, you know, it's like your job is to literally just go throw the ball as hard as you can and, and, you know, execute a pitch and that's it. Um, you know, go compete. I really liked, um, I finished The Last Dance You last night and they talked about Michael Jordan's gift. And um, one of the people that's closest to him, one of the security guards was actually saying that his gift was his ability to stay present longer than any person he's ever seen in his life. Um, the guy never seemed rattled and he always seemed to be inside this 
like personality of who he was from the moment he got off the bus or got out of the car to the moment he left. Like he never was a different person. He was always just locked in handling his business, you know, whether it was treating the media as, as they would, you know, there, there's a, there's a really cool scene where he's, he, um, is sick. Um, and they, he finds out that, uh, they, they think it's, it's actually not the flu game. It's food poisoning. And he had a pizza uh, late at night and he thinks that uh, it was tampered with, you know, he didn't make accusations, but there were five people showed up to deliver the pizza at 1030 at night. And that's really weird. And yeah. his uh, personal assistant and trainer actually answered the door and he was like, what are you guys doing? And they were like, well, is Michael Jordan here? And, and he's like, well, you know, you're not going to see him, you know? And, and so those guys out of there, well, he ate the pizza and then end up, you know, three 30 in the morning ends up getting sick. And, and so, you know, they kept saying flu like symptoms. I remember that too, but it was food poisoning. So he, you know, pulls himself up, you know, goes out there, has that great game and, and just goes to another level. And he talks about like what he's thinking about. And, and I just love it because it, it exposes the fact that in that moment of weakness, he never pulled back from the strategy of the game. That's where he lives. He lives in the strategy of the game, you know, and he talks about how learning from Phil Jackson and trying to be the coach on the court, but holding everybody to the standard is just, you know, uh, um, it's a difficult thing to do. You know, it's just a hard path to walk because you got to be a lot, you know, more harsh than you do loving in a lot of situations. And, and he admits that. And so it's, you know, it, it, it's crazy to, to think about the level of, you know, strategy that this guy um, has gotten to, but it's, it's funny because you, I don't remember Jordan's first couple of years, you know, in, in the NBA and they show all that at the beginning and the guy just got destroyed by Boston and LA. And like, you know, he's going into the paint and getting flipped on his head and, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, stories of this. And I think that with the mental game, especially with what you're putting in, one of the things that both of our programs do is, is teaching people how to do the everyday without teach, you know, saying it, you know, like I was an absolute psychopath when it came to baseball. I've saying I, more and more, I think about it. I didn't, I just didn't understand why the football team, why like it, I was from a small town and I literally remember the football coach telling me that me playing football was going to make me better at baseball and being like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, this isn't even the same thing. It's not even the same sport. Yeah. And there's many of overlays, many overlays, athleticism, mental toughness, endurance, of course, right? Of course, right? But it's not throwing and hitting the ball. And that's the sport of it, right? And so I, it's just really, back to Michael Jordan, it's just unbelievable that in his different levels of weakness and how things, how his life ha has transpired, that he could easily, you know, e easily just turn on the strategy and just start thinking about, how the play is going to go and what, you know, he never was, was out of the moment of the game. He always was understanding where Stockton was going to be, where all of these Larry Bird, what he knew exactly where they were going to be. So it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, um, it's kind of, have you ever uh, read or seen that movie, the peaceful warrior? No, I haven't. Dan Millman. It's kind of, kind of along the lines of what you were saying earlier about like staying within yourself and kind of like, uh, you know, they preach like uh, he preaches like getting rid of the trash, like taking out the trash so that you can stay within yourself, stay within the moment and obviously not be distracted by outwardly things. You know, that's something that I talk about uh, a lot with our guys and and trying to um, just 
again, hone in on like, and, and simplify like, what are you, what are you doing right now in this moment with this pitch? Like, what are you trying to execute? And that should be your only focus and do it as hard and, and to the best of your ability as you can. And everything else is, is not essential. Everything else is just a waste of time, you know? And if you can get to that point where you can do that when you're practicing at home, when you're in a game, I mean, you're gonna be pretty tough to beat most days, I think. Yeah, I know. It, I, 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 that's what I, I see. The the more it goes through um, the, this whole situation, the more I realize that, like, literally competing in the game is being lost. Like everybody's just going ham on training and yep. ham on strength training and, and everything. And and you know, as your as your name is, you know, bullpens get boring after a while. You know, and and like the ability to compete. And, and do everything. But in the same sense, like if you're a true master of the craft of throwing, like bullpens aren't boring. Like there's always something to get better at and, and, yeah. and sharpen, you know? I'll tell you one of the most amazing things that I ever saw in my pro career was a bullpen. So like I got called over in spring training to go back up, right? So uh, I got called over to the big league camp to go back up and I was excited. I was like pumped, you know, because it's the first time that they let me do that. And Roy Halladay was pitching, right, that day. So I'm sitting there in the bullpen and I'm watching him just like a hawk because obviously who wouldn't, right? And like, he doesn't say a word to anybody. He just didn't talk. And he always looked like, I mean, just different, you know I mean? Just like nuts, but quietly nuts. I don't know how to describe it. It was just like insane. But um, I watched his bullpen session and it was so quiet. Like nobody was talking anywhere. I've never seen somebody execute every single pitch in a bullpen and warming up the way that he did. Like he literally did not miss a spot. I mean, his mechanics literally stayed the same. Every every single pitch he landed in the same two spots every time. And the only words that I heard him say the whole bullpen were to his catcher, I think it was Rod Barajas maybe at the time or something, but he said, uh, he was just like, move out an inch. And Barajas just scooted the center of his body out an inch on the outside corner. And I mean, I'm talking every single pitch, no matter what it was, on the black, downhill, late bite, backdooring everything, and he did on both sides of the plate, and then he, you know, went in and just absolutely diced those guys up, you know. And I was like, watching that, and I'm like, number one, I'm never making it to the big leagues. Like I'm telling you right now, because there's no way. Um, but then number two, it's just like I couldn't believe how like, I don't know, just in in himself that you know, in the moment, and just like. He was so utterly focused. I've never seen anybody else do that. But I think I think they always talked about he was like that all the time. I mean, I'd see him sitting in his locker. Nobody talked to him. He'd just stare in his locker. And it was like – We had – in our Vance Worley podcast, he talked about – he went and talked to Doc his first his first year up with the Phillies. And it's, it's a funny story. I'm not going to ruin it. you got to go watch the episode. But right. this is – he's come up a couple times on this show. I, I brought him up the other day um, – um, not to take away from him, but just to say that Sports Illustrated did a, a thing on it back in the day about how he's landed in the same freaking spot every time. Back foot came around, cleats mm -hmm. were in the same exact thing. Um, and and I, I was actually making the point that, like, that's one way to do it. But are you Doc Holliday? And yeah. most of you aren't, so you probably should, like, realize that, you know, you can have a little Latin flair. And you, you I brought up Maddox, actually. Is, mm -hmm. Latin is not the fair way to do it. Like, Maddox would stride left on purpose to get more sync on his pitch. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. to not have the ball or to have the balls to be able to do whatever it takes to get people out, I think, is the next thing. So either yeah. you're going to do it like Halliday and just be meticulous about everything 
or like get over yourself and like have some fun and if bad shit happens, bad shit happens. But yeah. So yeah, I think you can do both. And I preach both because that's actually a point that the big league coach um, made to us young guys sitting there watching. He was like, look at how simple his delivery is. Look how he's landing uh, in the same spot and following through in the same spot on every single pitch. And you know, that clicked with me because I'd never heard that before. Um, so then I started doing that in all of my, um, flat grounds, playing catch, you know, my bullpens, anything that was really sub maximal effort. Um, I was always trying to control myself and be repetitive and do the same thing over and over again. But once it came to, you know, getting warmed up to go into the game and actually pitching, like I'm spinning off or landing, however the heck I'm, I'm landing because I don't care in that moment. I care about putting my heart and my soul under this pitch and putting everything I have behind it. But when I'm working on things, I am meticulous and I am like that psycho and making sure that it's the same thing every single time. And that's kind of what I do with a lot of my guys too. Yeah, there was, there was one more thing. I, I have a really good question sitting, but keep, keep going. Um, I don't remember what it was. What are you thinking, John? Oh, I was just, uh, I wanted to uh, talk pitch logic next. Um, I, yeah. I know that um, we got one over there and, and you threw it up on the track, man. And, um, you know, looking remember, at your, I remember, go ahead. I remember, go, we ahead. Can go pitch logic. Sorry. Um, so the pulsers, no, that's what I was going to say is that that idea of you said something, frick, you triggered something. Um, dang it. Well, I'll just say this. The, the, they, they make you have fun what were you just talking about and like discovering things oh 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 the bullpen you were saying bullpens are boring and then you're saying if you know how to do it and have fun that's what the pulsers have blown me up on that's what i didn't get to say earlier is it's so much more fun so um when i go on my little jogs right i'm literally like because i have these in my hand they're creating an awareness and then I'll just be like, oh, if I do this, then I'll go that way. And all of a sudden I'm freaking running. I'm a, I'm a running back down the middle of my street. <laughs> and, um, and those are the kind of things like a bullpen can be like a 30 minute jog mm -hmm. or a bullpen bullpen can be like you doing an obstacle course with freaking bags. And you know what I mean? Like make it as crazy and weird and, and exploratory as you possibly can. Those are the times, and, and I just don't think, you know, the obvious thing would be to mess with pitches and like mess with sequences. But I think the unobvious thing is like, what what are you doing mentally? And how do you set up these these bullpens? Because as me personally, and then we'll I'll drop it to pitch logic. I'm not a very confident person in certain situations. And so if you let me start thinking, I'll convince myself that I'm ass. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. these kind of, um, you know, so if I'm sitting there, and, and you tell me, hey, throw the most creative, fun bullpen, and I'm 19 years old, I'm going to do exactly what I think you want me to do. I'm not going to do what I think I should do. I don't have the guts to say that. And, and so those kind of things of like teaching kids to be creative, um, you know, I'm definitely going to err on the side of being a little bit more eccentric on it. But that's just because I've been blown away by that shit, you know. Um, so anyway, I, I just I like the idea of being creative. I like that you're creating this opportunity for your kids and you know, it's one thing to be a big leaguer or it's one thing to have professional experience and like apply that. But then it's another thing to like, I love that you just don't have a ceiling and you just keep on going. How many times have you said like, well, yeah, but like, I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, but I fucking love that. Oh, yeah. I, I know that I'm not where I need to be or want to be in many aspects of what I do. So, you know, it's like. And that's I mean, what makes you good, dude. I mean, you got to keep pushing. I mean, yeah, you will be a dinosaur, you know, in anything quickly if you are not 
consistently pushing the envelope a little bit and always, you know, pulling in new information. Um, you know, See, it's like, perfect, perfect segue right here. Yeah, Sorry, I, I think that, I think keep that, going, keep uh, going. I, I cut him off. I cut him off. No, no, it's, it's fine. I, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think like the way baseball is, you know, given the way baseball is right now, like, yeah, if you're, if you're stuck, you know, doing some of those old school things, you know, not to say that they're all bad. I still use a lot of old school things and I still find them valuable, but it's like, if that's your only thing, then you're, you're not going to be around real long. You're probably not going to be successful. You got to take bits and pieces and continue to move forward. You know, love that man. I think that goes for all the kids too, you know, their own training and their own, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not the end all to be all. And I don't think anybody is, you got to take bits and pieces learn yourself and keep adapting and growing. And that's why I said, that's why you're good is because that's, I mean, I, I, every time I have this conversation, somebody like you says something like that. I'm like PJ Fleck, PJ Fleck at being a Minnesota guy. And like, I, I've, I've literally, this is all I know about PJ Fleck. I know that he has a good reputation. I know that he's turned around the Gophers, but I watched his conference at the end of the year last year. And I literally watched the highlight version. I've seen this dude talk for like 90 seconds. That's it. And I knew immediately that this dude is successful because he's exactly who he says he is. It's that simple, right? And so when you're telling these players to do certain things and then you're doing it so much better than them, like it's something that I decided to a long time ago is like, I'm never going to be out of shape because I can't be a coach, say what I want to say. And then also you look at me and I'm a fat piece of crap, yep. you know, and, and so it's also, you say that. <laughs> yeah, it's so, because I've always said that to myself too. Like how, how's a kid going to respect me if I'm like, you know, I'm telling them, oh, yeah, you got to be able to, like, I don't know, run a seven-minute mile, but yet I can't do it in 13 minutes, and I'm sitting on the bucket catching them. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. that, I, I'm not going to gain the respect, you know, and if I can't show them that I'm capable of doing it too. You know what I mean? Well, and, It's and, a whole and, different and John, thing when someone can do it. You yes, know what I mean? Well, like, it's just, why John, he keeps throwing. I'm going to talk yeah. about you, John, so let me talk about you. Because <laughs> he leans into that all of the time, right? He talks about how he he throws, and it's such a huge part. And I see it. Like, John will always have an edge up on anybody who can't throw because he goes out and plays catch with kids, and they get to see. They're not going to throw exactly like him. But, you know, what I harp on with John all the time, what I tell kids about John is easily the most impressive thing about him is his low-effort throws look exactly like his high-effort throws. Nobody does that. Big leaguers do not do this. In fact, they're probably more guilty of not doing low effort throws very well. And then wondering why the hell they can't be consistent because they only do max effort throws correctly. And all of their submaximal effort throws are, they don't achieve the same positions. So anyway, um, the only problem with that is that most of us are not John, right? And so most of, I can try as hard as I want to be, to be healthy and throw as often as he possibly can and, and have all of the pitches that he can it would be a huge disservice to my players for me to spend that amount of time trying to be John. Right. And so um, just to, to flip it is like, that's where I've been so interested in the mental game. That's where I've been so interested in understanding the psychology of it and the fitness and the movement, because um, yeah, I can't sit and say that I, I played in the big leagues and that you should listen to me for that. And so I've tried to lean in on every other thing. And so if you want to talk to me about relationships or school or, you know, what the hell is going on in your head every day. You know, I love having those conversations um, because I have to have those conversations with myself. So anyway, what's obvious is when coaches um, do the, they don't, it's, you know, everybody has their own thing, but, you know, do you do what you can to maximize who you are as a coach? Mm -hmm. And 
Isn't it funny? Isn't it obvious? It's so obvious when it's right in front of you. And I encourage people to like, trust that because I, I know there's not a ton of Zacks out there, but they're out there, man. And, and it's so worth understanding that because your kids see this, it doesn't matter what you say, but when they see Zach is way freaking bigger than you can throw harder than you like, okay, here I'll, I'll, I'll shut up on this. I should not be one of the hardest throwing people in our facility. And I am. And I have a torn UCL labrum. I would still outpitch most people in our facility because of the work that I put in to this point. I'm not going to be a big leaguer. I'm not going to go sign an independent contract anytime soon. But um, uh, yeah. What are you, what are you throwing? Uh, so last summer I hit 88 a couple times. Um, nice. So I will throw 90. Um, this Heck whole yeah. quarantine, like I said, kind of slowed me down. It's not if I'm going to throw 90. Like, dude, I can throw 90 at 45 if I keep on trying. Like, it's simply, like I told you, those adhesions. Um, I had one underneath my armpit right here that he released. I'm like, oh, there's my slider again. My slider doesn't hurt anymore. So, like, I wasn't able to get fully extended, and I still have shit in my lat. I have, like, two or three adhesions at the bottom of my right lat. In between my right lat and my right glute um, is a war zone. And, um, yeah, it just really doesn't. So I don't think the labrum and rotator cuff, I mean, these are years and years ago. And yeah. based on what I've talked about with PT people, like, yeah, there's, there's shit in there. So it'd be helpful if somebody scoped me, but generally speaking, like if you just keep moving, by the way, this is what really got me jacked up about CrossFit was I knew that I was, had to be smarter than CrossFit. Cause if I did everything that CrossFit said and tried as hard as I possibly could, I wouldn't exist. I would have just turned into dust. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was something that I'm like, I'm going to just keep moving. And if it hurts, I'm going to figure out why it hurts and try to go on it. But I just kept on moving. Yep. And and that's clearly the key, right? And so the more that I moved, I know that if I do a ton of overhead uh, pressing, um, like high volume, it, it, it's not the weight. It's always volume. So if I go a ton of high volume overhead, I feel like shit. Terrible. And those are things that you learn. How do you learn those? By moving more than you think that you should move. So. Anyway, I, I just, I, I'm really excited to have a lot of the soft tissue stuff done to me and then, and then try to give it a go again. But dude, I haven't even, um, I promise I'll stop after this. When I was in Minnesota, I was throwing BP every day. I did like 60% of my instruction was hitting ironically. And, um, and so I would go and throw in the summer or at my alumni game and my arm was pretty in shape just by throwing all the time. And now that I don't throw BP, I, I have to actually take time out of my day to have a throwing pr- program for myself. And yeah. I just haven't done it yet, but yeah. I just, there's zero doubt in my mind. So the moral of the story is I'm not saying that I can go out and throw every five days, max effort, a hundred pitches, but I know that I can do it once. And I know that I'll hit 90 and I don't know how long I'll be able to do it. But anyway, no, I, I hear you. I mean, I, I believe a lot of the same stuff you do. Um, and the same thing goes for CrossFit. Like, you know, it's like I had my shoulder thing. I also partially tore both meniscus in my knees. So it's like when I got done playing, I couldn't jump off a, uh, on one of my legs. I couldn't just do a single leg, like vertical jump without it feeling again, like somebody's stabbing me in my knees. So then it's like we're squatting in there. You know, I was so used to doing like the quarter squats, you know, and not letting you go. And they were like, no, you got to get down full depth, all that stuff. And it was the same as my shoulder where it's like everything I did hurt. And I was just like, you know what? All right, screw it. I'm doing it. And I just did it for a few months and this pain went away and it's been gone, you know, and people shit on a snatch so much. And, and I like, I I know that this is outrageous. You have to be committed for me to even having this conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Right. But the reason that I like this snatch for me personally is it tells me everything that I need to know. 
right? If I haven't been doing my work, me doing an overhead squat right now, or maybe an overhead squat would be yeah, more yeah. of a, a fair thing, right? Yeah. Is that it just exposes everything, right? Same Absolutely. thing with a front squat, by the way. That's probably one of my biggest, um, I don't know, it's not a pet peeve, but I just don't understand why nobody's trying to create front squat range of motion. Like everybody's like, oh, you can't front squat? Okay, just two fingers, one finger, straps. Like what? Do you not realize that that's connected right here and yeah. your ability to lengthen that might be really freaking important for you throwing the ball? Like, I, I, I don't see that disconnect there. And it's like, well, the, the, the training economy, it's like everybody's saying you should lift more. You should work out more. Nobody's like, God damn, kids are kids are overtraining themselves. They're they're really overdoing it. Like, mm -hmm. that's just not what's going on in 2020. Yep. So. I'm a big, we actually, I don't know if you saw this, but we're right next to a place called East County Barbell, like literally next to our throwing stuff is a Olympics uh, lifting team. And I freaking love watching them move oh, yeah. um, because, uh, uh, oh, I, I brought it up the other day. So they had this Korean, um, you, you probably saw the lefty Korean guy threw a curveball and his hand was super supinated um, as he brought it up his body. Did you see this video? Mm-hmm. And why am I telling you this? I totally lost my train of thought thinking about the super nation. Probably open, probably oh, open oh, yeah, and yeah, closed yeah, joint. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> right before foot strike, his heels were way off the ground. Like they, he, he left his heels early and I'm like Olympic lifting. It's the same exact thing. Chest goes back too soon. Head gets behind the heels. Now I'm going to go forward, right? Yeah. I get out of my glute into my quad. It's the same exact thing. And so as I was Olympic lifting, I'm like, I love all of this because I'm analytical. I like the technique stuff, but I don't know, man, I get it. It's not where you start, but I, I think it's weird. And this is probably the top B in me. Like, go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, look, you look at like, um, you know, Dimitri Klokov or you look at like Lasha, you know what I mean? And it's like, those guys can like legit do the splits and, you know, pull their stinking arm, you know, way up behind, you know, yeah. it's like do all this crazy stuff and their mobility is insane, but yeah, they're able to squat 600 pounds and then clean and jerk like Lasha, you know, like almost like, what do he do? 585 or something like that. But yeah, his mobility is probably better than mine. Um, even like his overhead stuff, even though I'm yeah. an overhead athlete, you know, and it's just like, I, there's so many good things I think about Olympic lifting for Damn. everyone. Um, and just like you're talking about the overhead squat, like if you can't, like most kids can't, can't stay upright at all, you know, and it's like, you see, like they take a, the PVC and it's behind their hips by the time they get done because their ankle and their hip mobility are so poor. It's like, how do you think that's going to affect your hinges? You, you know, try to get down the mound. Um, you know, it's like, if you can't create, create that, that flexion. Yeah. I mean, that's when you're going to see that anterior dominance and you know, all the bad stuff. Here's an interesting thing with that too, is as I gain mobility, so, so CrossFit didn't make me more mobile. CrossFit was just fun and perfect for me. All of my work was in Olympic lifting. Like I spent a, a good deal of time on this and the mobility that you get is just like, why are, why are, why is anybody not going ass to grass? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then once you, once I started getting ass to grass then I started here, okay, I know that my knees are tracking in. I have you know, like whatever valgus, whatever. And, um, then I realized that it's actually has nothing to, well, it, I'm not going to change my ankle mobility now. I'm not going to do that like today or even in six months. Like for those of you that have bad ankle mobility, try getting better ankle mobility in six months. It like takes forever to get better ankle mobility, but you can abduct better and you can get your femurs out of the way and that creates more room. Mm -hmm. And I know John authentic, it creates an authentic drive leg. 
<laughs> I shouldn't even say that. That's making fun of somebody. Um, but yeah, it's it's authentic. And that's what was really interesting to me is I was having people talk to me about like, keep your knees out or like, you know, screw into the ground. But then when you actually understand that this is a complete glute move, you know, and that was where I actually felt that on my own. I was like, hey, when I like hump forward as I'm lifting, like that's the feeling for me, but that was me engaging my glutes, keeping them, you know, tracking at the same exact speed as my quads were. And um, I just, people don't say these things. So it's just, I, I've just learned so much from Olympic lifting and I've only been, you know, I started training, I started doing it um, with a, uh, a professional like three years ago, you know, and that's it's not too long ago. So yeah, I mean, anyway, I, would, I wish I would have done it, you know, coming up through high school, college and, and in pro ball, you know, it's like, I, I just feel like, honestly, I didn't know much about strength training even going through like my college and professional programs until I started to do CrossFit and Olympic lifting because nobody was really breaking stuff down that in depth and they weren't teaching you, you know, some of those things. They weren't having you go full depth um, and, and trying to improve that, that mobility to make the lift better. And it's just like, why, why wouldn't you? I, I heard I, you said something earlier too. And it's like, I don't know how all of these adults and coaches and people in our life, like had the confidence to give us this unsolicited advice with the lack of knowledge they had. Like, I can't imagine telling people things with such confidence that we were told. Yeah. Like, if I'm kind of doubtful about something that I'm going to claim or say, I'm going to tell you immediately. Like, hey, I might be crazy here, but this is it's an idea. And even like the other day, I was telling this, I did, uh, uh, John, I didn't tell you this. I ran into Dale Intrican at the live thing the other day. He had he was there with Jake. Um, mm. God, I'm still not pitch logic, but this is fun. Okay, so... <laughs> We got time. We started early. Um, yeah. Yeah. The WEC method thing has gotten me thinking about everything. And so they talk about like the importance of the dart. They, they think this is they, not, not, they think this is apparently a thing to them. So this is a martial arts concept of like, I can't see it. Dealing with this camera is screwing me. So it's this position with the wrist, but then it's this idea that the, the hand will like make a fist like this. Okay, and so then if I take away my fingers, then my thumb is reaching to my pinky. So everybody's thumb reaches to your pinky. This isn't like Cass's theory. This is like, this is just what people do. And so when you put the ball on, in your hand, most big leaguers are reaching their thumb like almost to the pinky. And the bigger your hands are, the less you need to do that. So the smaller your hands are, the more it's important for you to reach correctly under that. Anyway, I'm, I say this and I'm making it sound way more technical. All I'm telling you is every freaking bigly guy gets their thumb completely under their hand and that's how they create relaxed forearm because when you reach with the thumb, you activate this. What, what do I need this for? I'm not using this in my throw. Like I'm not, people aren't blowing this out. I, I love that you're saying that right now because that's something that I preach to my guys too. I hate to see you know any type of like uh, extension or flexion in the wrist early on because it, it creates a natural imbalance, you know, in, in your forearm. And it's like, a, you know, it's like a course that, you know, it's going to probably put more stress on your forearm than it needs. Um, and you get in a layback and there's already enough there anyway. It's like, what do yeah, we yeah. Wanna, you know, what do we want to have that, that flexion and that, that tension and one side extending once, you know, contracting and the other one lengthening. It's like, there's no balance there. Balance is strength. It's like be loose yep. and be neutral and, and yep. you know, so it's like well, and I think that I think that we, you know, and this is there's a fine line here because we start seeing pronation, then we got kids that are purposely pronating, 
you know, but there actually is this safe amount of like cock the crap out of this hand. And what I talk to kids about is like, this is independent of the shoulder, right? You can keep the shoulder joint closed and close the hand even more, but you can also open the shoulder joint and keep your hand closed. Like you can, you have two bones. It allows you to do this. Um, so I, the, the one claim that I do have in this that I feel is again, this is not a baseball idea, right? This is an idea of, like you said, strength and balance. This is how my bones want to line up. And so what I've felt, and maybe I'm just making this shit up to fall into my own narrative, um, but it's, it seems to me that you can do this and it like tightens the grip without tightening your grip, right? And so if you just like, um, oh, I suppose just like anything, you know, you're leveraging bones against themselves and they create this like clamp that you normally, so this is my claim. I think too many people grab the ball like this with their thumb is coming from this direction and they go like that and then bring the thumb in. And what I think they need to do is I think they need to establish the thumb position and then bring the fingers on top of it. And so I think honestly, most people, most amateurs are actually here on the ball. And then most big leaguers are doing this. Hmm. And that's not, that's just like what I've seen. I don't see many people do this. I do it with my curveball. And that's one thing that I, I just have a really freaking good curveball. I didn't even do it with my fastball. So anyway. I'll play around with that next to my throw. Bones. Bones. Yeah. All right, Johnny. Here you go. It's, I mean, it's okay. It's entirely okay. So um, that is exactly what we're here for. We're here for, for the for the chatting. Um, hey, uh, I'll be done. I'll be done in like two seconds, uh, 25 <laughs> minutes later. That was literally 25 minutes. I've been watching my... <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> so uh, you got a pitch logic ball. We've been all over it with pitch logic. We were big fans. Um, the thing that really got me excited about knowing that you were getting one was your ability to get a track band. Um, I wanted to ask your experience as far as, you know, um, you know, people, there, there's a weird thing with the pitch logic ball with trust, which I can totally understand with technology and people. And, and I resonate with that also because there's a, there's, you know, you want things to be accurate. You want things to be good. Um, with, with your, um, comparison of the track man to the, the pitch logic data, did you notice anything that was surprising about it or, you know, what was your take? Uh, I, I was actually very impressed with it. I was a little bit skeptical at first, you know, um, uh, but, I thought that it it was pretty accurate in most cases. Um, you know, I, I think I gave a, a big uh, breakdown of it on my on my page, but uh, you know, the velocity was a little bit off. You know, because I had my stalker and TrackMan and PitchLogic all going at the same time. Um, but it's certainly well within the window. You know, what I mean, it's not like you're going to see this like five mile an hour like jump where you know it's like you're 90 on PitchLogic and you're 85 on TrackMan. It was literally like a mile an hour or two difference at the most. And sometimes, you know, it was on and sometimes it was like one off or two off, you know, but um, it always read a, a little bit above track band and stalker uh, by that one or two mile an hour mark. Uh, as far as the movement goes, it's pretty accurate. I mean, um, very, very close, uh, very little uh, difference between the readings. And then uh, what really impressed me is the spin rate was pretty much dead even almost every single time. Yeah, I was wondering about that. That was actually yeah. my, my the number one thing I wanted to know was how was it moving compared to the track man measuring in inches? And then how, you know, 
what is the spin like? At, you know, is there any other metrics that you compared also? Um, I really just looked at the, the big three there um, and, you know, vertical, horizontal, the, the spin rate and then uh, the velocity. And uh, I, I was pretty impressed with how accurate the spin was. I mean, it was pretty much dead on within, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, you know, RPMs. RPMs. Yeah. I mean, it, it was pretty impressive there. Um, very how does TrackMan gather its data? Um, I think it has you know? a, it's like a two radar. I think it's like a two radar system. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's a two radar system with lasers. I think yeah, that's what it is. And, and a camera. Um, so it's like a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, but yeah. Well, Cause I, that was, that was one of the things. And, and I'm not saying this to shit on people. I'm just saying like, it seems like that was one of the things um, with some of the other, I'll just say it. it seems like that was the thing with other technology. I'll leave it at that. So anyway, and, yeah, no, I, I mean, I liked it, and I've already had a handful of my guys buy one uh, because, you know, I, I liked it so much. And I, and what I really liked the most, and I actually, I probably shouldn't say this, but I actually like it better than TrackMan in this instance, is um, I think the the printout that it gives you in the Excel spreadsheet, like that's such like an easy thing to do every single day that you're using it. I think TrackMan's um, printout's a little bit hard to decipher the information. It's not as clean, and I... I you know, I know they're working on that, but I think they need to need to clean it up a little bit and just make it more presentable um, to the everyday person. I, yeah, I, the, I realized I didn't even I didn't finish my thought. The point is, is it's a it's a calculation, right? These other technologies are predictive, right? Where that can run into problems. So I, I was just curious um, as we do as we know more and more about these technologies. I think it's going to be. Um, I think we're going to have to learn, like, I think we will act accidentally learn these things of like, oh, now I know exactly, like Rapsodo is just a bunch of cameras, right? So it couldn't actually know these things without doing a, a calculation. So I was curious what, but lasers are not calculations. Those are just readings. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's some times where TrackMan might be off and then it's kind of guessing um, certain things and it lets you know that it's guessing, but for the most part, um, you know, I, I think it's been interesting pretty accurate um, but that, yeah that's only if it's there's something interfering or if it's not like uh, calibrated you know exactly perfect which is another you know reason that I think pitch logic is really cool because it's pretty easy to set up I mean it takes you a few seconds like you know, trackman's got to be like um, perfectly uh, uh, measured out you know with every part of the setting um, you know, Nothing do, more frustrating than when your machine is not calibrated correctly or, or aligned like it's supposed to be, so your numbers are off. Oh yeah, yeah. That that or if like the tripod a tripod gets bumped in any way, it like throws off the calibration. You have to redo it. You know, like right in the middle of the pen, and it's just like oh man. Same thing with Rapsodo. If it's on the yeah. ground and you hit it or someone touches it or whatever, you got to redo the whole thing. So it's yeah. You know, I, I, my hats off to those guys. I, you know, we've been pushing their stuff a lot, and they're they're the conversations that I've had with the CEO is so good for what the future brings. Like these guys really want to make a good product with the consumer in mind in, in baseball, you know, with their free cloud access and then, you know, upgrading things, you know, um, the concept of final tech in this ball is, is rather interesting because they don't need to upgrade the, the hardware inside of this thing anymore, yeah. which is amazing. So, you know, just the fact that this is kind of the genesis, this is the third version of the ball. It, it's it's very, it's very intriguing to see where it's going to go. I know they have an app update uh, coming out and, and I'm, 
I'm guessing a month or two. I'm not sure, but we've talked about it. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to be happening, but I'm excited about it. So, um, but, but only because I know that after the conversation I'm having, these guys literally want to push the envelope as far as possible and what they can do inside of this tech. And there's so much potential for this thing. So you said you got a couple guys get it, you know, at your gym, you have, uh, like you said, you have five or six guys going on an hour. Um, the distance and, um, the distance to which the ball can actually be used, right? And then the functionality and, and the confined spaces. And I know that when you're, your guys are throwing, you know, you have a, uh, you know, you have a long version and then a short version where you're throwing, you know, perpendicularly or parallel yeah. to your lane. Um, I think that the revolutionary part of this ball and help me, I want to know what your opinion is, um, is the fact that you can do this with 15 feet and you're getting spin data inside of your constraint drills, which I'm not sure if you're, you know, in, in our world, I'm not sure if you're K drilling on track, man, but I, I don't necessarily see it happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, we're not doing a lot of like drill work um, with track, man. It's usually just like, okay, let's see the culmination of all our, you know, work, but um, yeah, that's, I, I kind of want to buy a couple more just so that we're playing catch with it. You know what I mean? And warming up with it and guys are seeing some stuff on their own and they're able to make some adjustments and, you know, throwing flat grounds and, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I like it. I think it's really cool. Um, I'm jealous that I was not born in this generation, you know, oh. full technology. And, you know, I mean, these guys have so much access to information. And I mean, I remember I had a, you know, like a, one of those old Sony, like flip out cameras that my dad would like record me on and you'd have to like pause it perfectly and you can't see anything. Cause it was so like scattered yeah. and jacked up and that's the best you had for, you know, analysis. Um, I, I'm with you. I, I had, when I was rehabbing, I had the, uh, uh, digital eight tape, right. With the video camera. And I remember yeah. like downloading it. I have to get the cable, download it to my computer. No idea what it looks like. Get it on the computer, you know, get it to open up, upload it and then look at it. And then the frame rate's too low and my arm is way too fast. And I have like no idea where my arm is at all. Then you try yeah. to pause it or you, you, you hit the aerial arrow keys and go one by one. And it's like, well, it went from here to there, like really fast. And that's, yeah. that's all I got, I know. you know? I know. And now it's, we get, you know, we got slow motion on our cameras. You just upload everything here. And then we got freaking, you know, pitch logic. And, you know, for 250 bucks, you have, you know, a baseball that can track all your data for you on a daily basis and make it easy. Yeah. That's I, one of the things will... that is exciting about like the ability to do spin efficiency inside of constraint work, especially at a young age, like we're, I'm, I'm predicting some massive like gangsters when it comes to pitching, because of if you can teach a 10 year old to understand what a spin efficiency is so much earlier in their career on any pitch and like what it's supposed to be. And they understand what it means. Like it's not that hard to teach kids, you know, the idea. Cause really the, the name doesn't mean anything. Like people get caught up and in, we've intentionally changed the name from cutter to slider just because we know the coach doesn't know how to sequence it. Like, don't even call it a cutter. If you stay a cutter, he's going to freak out. Just call it a slider. Watch what happens. Sure enough, calls it a slider. Kit, you know, coach knows exactly what to do with it. And it's like, no, that's not the point. The point is the shape of the pitch and the movement and how it works against the hitter. The name doesn't mean a thing. Yeah, I hear you. I was going to say, for the record, so back at like minute 34 or whatever it was, um, that's the best That's the best uh, argument I've ever heard for the, for the ball. Um, because I, that's what needs to be known is how 
cumbersome the rest of the technology is. And so I don't know enough about the diamond kinetics ball to, to sit and have a, a, a good conversation about that. But I had, um, we had hit tracks in Minnesota and I've seen everything else and that that's hands down. Nobody can argue against that. Nobody can argue that, that that's the quickest setup. Um, yeah, it's crazy. That's, that's the best. I like that. So anyway, and obviously the drill work is really cool too. And I think Ferber's point yesterday about long toss, um, that hadn't occurred to me either. I was little, I was looking more um, at the benefits of knowing distance and that kind of stuff. Um, but knowing that, because we've all seen this, right? Where a kid has certain patterns in the beginning of his game of catch, all of a sudden he starts airing it out and something else happens and now he's going to be seeing that. So it, it's it's unraveling slowly but surely as as far as like how we talk about this and, and how we tell people that this isn't just like a, a bias and like a, this is this is one of the coolest cooler things we've seen. So anyway, yeah, yeah. no, I like it. I, I'm excited about the uh, the ball like long tossing and stuff too, because it's like I think on a daily use, it's like you, you can. I guess if you feel good, like sometimes you know you feel good, and you're like, man, I'm I'm gonna blow cheese today, you know. And then it's like you get on the mountain, see the gun, and you're like, oh, what the heck, you know? It's like you're two miles an hour down, and other days you feel like crap, and you're you know blowing noise. But I think that's interesting. I think guys are gonna be able to like get a better sense of themselves that way too, where it's like. I feel this way and here's my result, you know, I'm putting this much effort into it and it's going this far, this velocity, whatever. And I think if they can just have that track record and that data, uh, you know, on a, on a daily basis, I think it's just going to really change things a lot. And the price point is just so good. Like what, what else can, I mean, yeah, I really, I'm a huge pocket radar fan and this is supplanted that as like the first thing that I would get if I had to spend money on something. Cause you get yeah, it, you get absolutely. kilo in it. So. Absolutely. I would, I would absolutely buy it. So yeah. Cause you can get three replacement balls and now you're at $400 for a pocket radar. And anyway. Yeah. They're, they're definitely with their leather replacement program and, and the other things that go with it. I think it's going to be a massive, you know, upgrade to all of the athletes. So yeah. then the, and the stockers are going to be more for the coaches and us than it's going to be them, you know, which is good because I've been, gosh, how much product, I mean, I push a ton of product for my people so they have it because I have it and they should have it too, but that's not always the best, you know what I mean? That's not always best for them. You don't need to spend $700 um, if you don't have to. So anyway, no, anyway I, I hear I'm, you. I'm, 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 I'm on board with you guys and I like it. I wouldn't promote it if I didn't. So I, I love it. So I think it's good. I agree. Well, listen, we are, uh, if we, I'm not hundred percent sure, but we could probably go ahead and give you the crown for our longest podcast we've done so far. So I'm pretty Heck sure yeah. we're right there. Heck yeah, so I know you like n- nice long throwing sessions and nice long workouts. So why not have a nice long podcast? You know? Yeah. I mean, Hey, always, uh, always leading the pack, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. it's not like we don't have time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Definitely. Well, Zach, um, why don't you tell everybody, um, you know, just remind everybody where they can find you, where you're at in the country, follow you, the whole thing. Um, yeah, so I'm in uh, Northern Virginia, um, just outside the D.C. area. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want to follow me online, I got uh, Instagram, Bullpen Pitching. Um, I have it on Facebook and all that stuff, too. But I'm not a big social media guy other than Instagram. That's about all I got. 
Yeah, you're you're a liar because your videos are definitely well thought out on Instagram. So Instagram, yes. Everything else is No, he said whatever. he doesn't yeah, yeah. I know. I'm just I'm just giving a little hard time. So okay. um yeah, dude, you're the best, man. I, I appreciate your your forward thinking and what, what you've been put doing in the game and, and your constraint led approach with how you guys are doing stuff. It's just it's spot on. I'm, i tell everybody that's over in the area, you know, we get I get DMs from people across the country all the time. Do you know anybody in this area? And I'm like Pfft this guy how far are you from here like three hours i'm like worth it do it you know well i appreciate that i really do and i appreciate you guys having me on i enjoyed the conversation that was awesome yeah man we'll, we'll do this track. definitely more i mean i'm sure you know cast by the way getting, before it's over this is the too randy wacky. moss episode this is the randy moss episode leave it to the vikings guy he's the only up. only number 84 that matters <laughs> <laughs> A poor spring training guy right there too. Like, oh, I'm 84. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Probably. <more>. Anyway, <laughs> I, I never had a spring training number. How about that? <laughs> That's okay. We're, I mean, everybody's uh, just cattle. You know, we're all just cattle. It it's true. Matter. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Come over here. So, all right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. Um, Zach, you're the best man. Thanks. Uh, you guys go follow him. Bullpen pitching on on Instagram. That's his primary where, where you're going to catch a lot of his the best of his content. So I appreciate it, man. Um, you know, we'll, we'll try to do this again here soon. Uh, if you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, I need a Cutter Nation hat. That's what I need. I got you, dude. I got you. All what right, color? I, I got to buy what? one. I'll, I'll buy one. So I'll yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it on the website. We'll get on the. Uh, we'll we'll knock that out definitely. So I think I I know you're blue and and. Uh, black, right? Yeah, we have a blue everything. and we have a blue and white one. So uh, I'm not sure. I don't think they even make this one in the blue and black. black. This so. is this or the the black and the black and gray. That's what we do. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, the gray is pretty gnarly. Yeah, yeah I like, I like so. the logo. It looks cool. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it, man. We we try. You know, this thing's dirty, but it's been around. It's took taking a tour. So anyway. Appreciate it again. You guys don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe. Check out the website, cutternation.net, for apparel and more content. Um, should be putting some blogs up there soon. I've got some cool stuff with that. We'll have to chat about um, fast, slow in the, in the future. So I'll, gotcha. I will let you know how it goes. And thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good day. Thanks, man. And...